I've got a, a question for you. Do you know what it's like to be pronounced guilty in a court of law? This is going to be news for a lot of you, but I do. <laughs> During my teens, I, what I call my BC days, that is before Christ days, I was, I was pretty rebellious. I was getting into a lot of trouble at home, at school, and with the law. I was arrested for, for joyriding, for other things. And I know what it's like, therefore, to be arrested, to be in a courtroom before a judge and be pronounced guilty with consequences. So it's one thing to know you are guilty, but it's another thing to have that happen to you, to be exposed, to be brought to account, to have that verdict pronounced over you in a courtroom. That doesn't feel good. <laughs> That's humbling, humiliating. You're not feeling too hopeful in that moment. We've been looking at Romans and we've heard in these early chapters how each of us, in fact, has been, without exception, caught, brought to account, exposed, declared guilty, not just in some human court, but in God's court, not just by some human judge, but by God himself. And that really doesn't feel good. At first, that really feels without hope. Doesn't feel like anything like good news. Well, what I want to say this morning is that when you hear that verdict of you being a sinner in Jesus Christ, in the death of Jesus Christ, at first it still might not feel good, but I want to let you know this morning that in Jesus Christ, that is good. That is hopeful. That is good news. That is God's almighty power that liberates you for life when you hear it and when you trust it all the way through. Today we're going to look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, what we heard in our reading this morning. So we can go to that slide, that next slide. So in chapters 1, 2, and 3, just for a little review, Paul's made this point super clear. Every Jew, every Gentile, even the one who wants to be an exception, even the one who wants an excuse for their sin, who tries to cover it in some way, everyone has been come under the charge of being a sinner. Everyone has been charged as being under the power of sin, without exception. So he finishes his section in, in 3, chapter 20, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 20, by saying the same thing in another way. No one's going to be declared righteous now by the law. The law of God in the Old Testament that was originally, of course, to the Jews, for the Jews, but is also for us as we read it. When you go there, you, you realize the law, um, it's a testimony also against you. So when Paul's quoting these, verse, these verses before this section, all the Psalms he quotes, 
He's quoting testimony, like in a court of law, against you, against me. No one is righteous, not even one. And that he's quoting this as the word of God. So this isn't just human testimony. This is God's testimony against you. And then this is God's verdict also over you. But now, Paul writes, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed or revealed. It's a similar language, if you remember the first uh, chapter, where Paul said, God has revealed his righteousness in the gospel. The righteousness of God has been revealed in the gospel. So Paul is telling us right here to turn away from the law that testifies that we're a sinner that cannot justify us now. It's no longer possible for the law to justify us. Towards the good news in Jesus Christ, the only one who now can justify us. This is our only hope. To which the law and the prophets have actually testified. Paul is going to make that point throughout the rest of Romans, how the the law and the prophets was actually pointing to the gospel in Jesus Christ all along as well. So Paul says the righteousness of God has been revealed, disclosed through, and this is where some of you probably got a little nervous, you read, through the faith of Jesus Christ, if you're familiar with normal translations here, for all who believe. It's not denying our faith in Christ, but the faith of Jesus Christ. This is one of the biggest changes in the New Revised Standard Version updated edition that came out just last month that I'm going to be using for Romans. I've been using. I will continue to use. And it's translating this phrase, pistis Jesus Christos, or in other places, just pistis Christos, that can be translated as either faith in Christ or the faith of Christ. And good translations, all the new ones, have a little footnote that says that. The alternate reading is the faith of Christ. Now you're going to read good scholarly reasons for both translations. Uh, Very good ones. If I had to choose between one or the other, I would go with faith in Jesus Christ. That's had the longest standing uh, tradition behind it. It would seem Paul at least means that. But there's another option. Scholars like Thomas Torrance put forward that perhaps what Paul is, is intending here is both meanings. It's not the first time he would have done that in his letters, using a word or a phrase that has double meaning that we're supposed to hear and understand. It's a very poetic device, and Paul is way more poetic, I think, than people have given him credit for. So taken this way, pistis Christos, the faith of Christ, would be a quick way of saying faith in the faith and faithfulness of Christ. Faith in the faith and faithfulness that Christ showed towards the Father that led to the cross, to the revelation of God's righteousness there. So it's not taking away anything. It's just opening this up. Also, faith that participates in, is baptized in, is conformed to the faith and faithfulness of Jesus. 
That's what this passage, this, this translation could do. I find this, I find this convincing myself, and not just convincing, but liberating, and just increasing my faith in Jesus, giving me guidance. But even if Paul didn't intend that by this phrase, it's pretty clear that Paul did intend to say that with all his other words and phrases in the bigger picture of the gospel. Either way, in this passage even, Paul is emphasizing both the faithful act of Jesus in his atoning death and our faith in that act that justifies us. That's what Paul's doing in this passage. So he goes on, there is no distinction. There are no exceptions, he's reminding us. Since all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified, no longer by the works of the law, that's no longer possible, not by anything else, but his incongruous grace. We've been talking about for a few weeks that comes as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So to be declared righteous, to be justified, this is court language. It's the opposite of being condemned guilty. It's a declaration of innocence, of being just, of being in the right, of being righteous, in fact. So how how do we go suddenly from being declared guilty to being declared righteous? Well, we got there, of course, through Jesus Christ, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, through the incongruous grace of God in Christ, whom, Paul says, God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood Effective through faith, or we could say, for the benefit of all who have faith, who trust it, who hear it, receive it, take it in as their own. So here, this is, this is a packed passage. It's a few verses, but man, yeah, you can feel the density here. There's a lot to explain. But Paul has suddenly shifted here from court imagery to temple imagery. It says, God put Jesus forward. And that language is from the Old Testament when a, a priest in the temple would put forward the, the shoebread in the, in, on the place of the altar. Well, here God is putting forward Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement for us. Now again, uh, there's a lot of words I'm, I'm giving you this morning. But this word can also be translated as the mercy seat, which usually it is in the, when it's used in the book of Hebrews, or the place of mercy. This was the covering on the ark um, in the Old Testament where God, between these two carved angels, would meet with his people in grace and forgiveness. But this would never happen without the appropriate sacrifice having been made and applied to the ark. So a sacrifice for atonement and the place of mercy are two sides of the same event, the same reality. And with Jesus, two sides of the same person. So God puts forward Jesus as the new place of mercy based on his sacrificial atonement. So we don't, again, have to choose between one or the other. Both are going on. In later chapters... 
Paul is going to hammer mercy, mercy, especially 9, 10, and 11. That word becomes the dominant word. In these early chapters, the dominant word is justice, righteousness. This is a revelation of God's righteousness, his justice. It's both, of course, but he's emphasizing justice here more than mercy. And so that when, G- when God shows us mercy in Jesus, when he justifies us, he's not setting aside his justice. That is what Paul is emphasizing in this section. So in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, God judged our sin, condemned it, did away with it as he needed to, as was totally appropriate, as what we would hope he would do. That's something to hear, actually, and rejoice in, that he did that for us, for the world. Paul says he did this to demonstrate his righteousness, which again can be translated as justice. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, his justice, because in his divine forbearance, in his patience, he had passed over the sins previously committed. So the cross corrects the assumption that just because God for centuries did not judge our sin as it deserved does not mean God is unjust. It means he was patient, actually. The cross means God is not soft on sin. He is utterly opposed to it and has judged it and dealt with it and taken it away in Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. What salvation would it be if God did not do that? Sin is the cancer of the world. It needs to be judged. It needs to be condemned. It needs to be taken away. And in Christ, that's what God did. Paul repeats, in case we didn't hear it, the merciful sacrifice of Jesus was to demonstrate at the present time his own righteousness, his own justice, so as to be just and the one who justifies the ungodly, who justifies those who have faith in Jesus or the faith eventually like Jesus. The cross demonstrates that God is righteous and just, that he is opposed to sin judged it in Christ so that God would be just and be the justifier of the unjust who trust in Jesus. So that God could show us incongruous grace so he could give us pardon, so he can give us a new innocence, so he can declare us to be in the right, righteous, and still be just. Those who hear God's just verdict in Christ and respond to in faith and say, yes, I am that one. I am one of those. I am not an exception. I am one of those for whom Christ died. Those are the ones who will also hear the, the full verdict. You are also now justified in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you are judged and justified.
We're to receive his judgment in Christ, our judgment in Christ as our redemption, as our justification. He was, he was sent to the cross for our sins, and he was actually raised for our justification, it says later in chapter 4. They're both connected. Jesus Christ, what is true of him is true of us when we trust in him. His judgment is our judgment. We just didn't have to go through it. His justification when he rose from the dead is our justification. All things are ours in him when we are in him, when we trust him, we're baptized into him. Remember the meaning of your baptism. As an adult, a few years after I was convicted as a teenager, I made a request to the court to have my criminal record expunged, to have it erased, destroyed. And they granted my request. They sent me a letter in the mail, I remember, and I remember opening it and, and reading it and being kind of in wonder and awe and, and also wondering, is this really saying what I think it's saying? <laughs> and I had to call some people. I had to call places to, to figure that out. And eventually what it is, I went to the RCMP even, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, otherwise called the Mounties in Canada, the Federal Police of Canada. And I asked them to print out my criminal record. Give me a printout. And I thought, well, if this letter is saying what I'm saying, what I'm hearing it saying, when I get that printout, nothing's going to be there. I got the printout. Nothing was there. That was a good day. <laughs> I had a clean record. That's what God gives us in Christ, a clean record, a new innocence, a fresh day, a fresh life, a justified life. That's what we get in Christ. And he gives us a letter to confirm it. (laughs) He gives us Paul's letter to the Romans to confirm it. You might have to ask some people if it's saying what you think it's saying. (laughs) I had to do that for a few years. (laughs) Figure out my justification in Christ. To be assured of it. You might want to get a printout even. And if you could, you would see you've been pardoned. You'd see it's been done away with. You would see, as it says in, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, it has been nailed to the cross. It's been taken away. You got a clean slate All you're going to find is, instead of guilty, you are declared not just forgiven, but in the right. You are declared righteous, in fact. By the highest authority, by God himself, in his Son. Because God is just, and the one who justifies the ungodly. Because God is a God of justice and incongruous grace. Because God put forward Jesus as the new place of mercy and justice, where justice and mercy kiss, and where you are declared righteous. The only place you will ever be declared righteous. Will you live by that word? We can forget that word, even as Christians. 
We can forget the word that in Christ God has judged and justified us, the word that enables us to live a forgiven life, a justified life, a word that is no empty word that also enables us to become who God says we are in Christ. It's so much easier sometimes or we just fall into living by another word that you need to justify yourself somehow, some way. And we don't just do that through the works of the law, the Jewish law in the Old Testament. We can do that through other ways, through our bodies, through how many looks we can get, how many likes we can get. We can try to justify justify ourselves through our political stance and language. We can try to justify ourselves through being super creative or innovative or through our professional accomplishments. We want to justify ourselves when we pursue these things to cover the guilt, the real guilt we feel before God. We can do these things because we want to prove that we are in the right, that we're doing the right thing, that we are justified. To live under that word that says we need to justify ourselves, that's a burdensome word (laughs) that no one can really fulfill. That leaves us insecure deep down inside. That is a waste of our time and energy when we could be living by another word that is true in Christ, the word that you are judged and justified in him. To know that in Christ, you get the verdict. You are declared righteous before the performance. So we can delight in the beauty of our bodies. We can pursue creative endeavors. We can pursue excellence in our careers. We can pursue justice and mercy, but without the burden of needing to justify ourselves through these things. It's such a different approach. There's a freedom to it. So that when I ask you, who who are you? You can say, I am someone who's already been judged and justified in Christ so that you can live a forgiven life. You can live a justified life so you can know the, the freedom of that word, the power of that word and live the life Jesus died to give you. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, there are so many, so many words at work in this world. Give us ears to hear your word in Christ. The good news, your good news in Christ. That is your almighty power that saves us, that liberates us for true living. Do this, Father, for us. Not as we deserve, but as you desire to give us in mercy, in Jesus. Amen.